God has decided to not have to need us, but to want us. And what God seems to want, according to the biblical record, is for you and I to participate in God's purposes, rather than always be asking God to get involved in what we, you know, the foolishness that we cook up, right? So God is saying, if you love me, join me. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Howdy, Bishop. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> Good I'm wearing morning. My, I'm wearing my cow, cowgirl boots today. There you go. Uh, intersection is the title you gave this week's devotion. It's about the book of Esther. Yep. And I love how you summarize it all, naming that it's a book about the intersection of God and us. And that's not a random title. So I'm wondering if you can unpack what inspired that particular word. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, thank you. That's a perfect question. I'm always interested at what is God's part and what is my part, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people are interested in that. I mean, God is not microwave popcorn. God is not magic, right? And so if God is not magic, then that means that something is required of us. Right. And so, again, what is my part and what is God's part? Right. So the Bible says that God feeds the birds of the air. Right. But God does not uh, get the worm and put it in the nest. Right. There is something required by the bird. And so so a story like Esther takes us to that intersection that God is about God's saving work, that God has a clear purpose, that God is doing something. And so what is my role in God's overarching trajectory? Okay, Bishop, so after considering your devotion for myself, the word agency kept popping into my head. So like Esther, an unlikely heroine of the times, like women before her were just like kind of chopped off at the knees. Um, I keep thinking that agency wasn't given to her by the people around her or, you know, maybe it was by her uncle, but she knew she had it from God. So I'm wondering if you can unpack kind of the idea or the concept of agency for us. Yeah, I mean, so part of part of the great gift that God has given us all, the capacity that God has given us all is agency, right? So so if you read the Bible, the Bible seems to suggest that anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place can exert leadership, right? And we always have that possibility, but we we talk in terms, at least popularly, we talk in terms of being empowered or being invited to exert leadership, et cetera. Um, and, and, and Esther had to get a little bit of a, a nudge from her uncle, but she always possessed it, right? And so, you know, Mordecai, that's her uncle in the story. And by the way, I don't know why Netflix and Hulu have not picked <laughs> up the story. This story is a fantastic story. I mean, it's got everything, right? It's got, you know, it's got Queen Vashti, you know, who was, who was trying to exert leadership but did get cut off. Uh, at the knees. I mean, so you've got some uh, misogyny there, you know, you've got a husband who's, uh, who's, who's not quite a progressive kind of dude. Then you've got this new lady, Esther, and she's got a bit of a past and she's, she's adopted by Mordecai. And, 
and she finds herself now in the royal palace and with the king. She has access now. She can actually be used by God to do a saving work. But then she gets a little squidgy like all of us. She gets, she gets a little nervous. She, she gets to the intersection of consequence and faith, right? So if I do X, it's going to have real-world consequences, or there's going to be a real-world uh, risk. And that's, you know, enter stage from stage right, enter Mordecai, the old crusty uncle who knows something about this intersection, who knows something about God and us and how do we play together. And Mordecai gives her the $64,000 statement and question. He basically says, and I, I'll paraphrase, he basically says, hey, uh, sister, Esther, don't get cute, right? Don't think because now you're in the palace that, uh, that you're exempt somehow from partnership with God. But know this. God is going to do what God is going to do. God is going to save people, right? And who knows, the, the, the question, a beautiful question, who knows you may be in the kingdom, in the palace, at this intersection for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, you're here not by accident, not by coincidence. It's up to you now to live out what you say you believe. And yes, it has a risk. And yes, there will be consequences. And so that's why I call it intersection, because Esther's not different from us, right? All of us have agency. All of us. I mean, we may not be in the palace, but we may be in the boardroom, right? Or the schoolroom or the church room, right? All of us have agency, right? All of us are invited to take a risk based on what we say on Sunday we actually believe. Right. So what is my part and what is God's part? One of the equations that I like to use when I think about my own self is, is that what have I done everything that I can do in a particular situation before I start calling on God? Have I done with the mind that God has given me, with the resources God has given me, with the information, the experience, with the friends, with the advisors, have I done everything that I can do? to get myself to an intersection before I start begging God to do something for me that I can do for myself. And so when I, when I satisfy that equation, then I know that I have in some ways honored God by doing everything that God has given me the ability to do. So you continue on to say that God deserves to be worshiped in the highest form of that worship is partnership with God to accomplish God's saving purposes. I mean, yes. that's a big phrase right there. <laughs> yeah. And so can you say more about that partnership you envision God having with us? Yeah. And so, you know, here's the thing about it, right? So, so, so God doesn't need us, right? I mean, I, I, sometimes we get a little cute and we get a little in our egos, you know, it's like God can't do it. You know, all that God has is my hands. Well, if all that God has is my hands and poor God, <laughs> that's not my kind of God. God actually has anything and everything that God wants to have, right? God is all-powerful, almighty, right? The Bible says that even if God were hungry, God would not tell us, right? So, so God doesn't need us. But here's the beauty. God wants us. God has decided to not have to need us, but to want us. 
And what God seems to want, according to the biblical record, is for you and I to participate in God's purposes, rather than always be asking God to get involved in what we, you know, the foolishness that we cook up, right? So God is saying, if you love me, join me. Jesus says, follow me, right? So, so that's the big part of that statement. So God delights when you and I, of our own volition, without guilt or obligation, decide to join God in God's righteous purposes. And that's what happens in the story of Esther. Esther decides that she wants to be part of the solution. She wanted to save her people from evil Haman, who was building gallows, right, to exterminate the Jewish people. She wants to be involved in saving God's, quote, chosen people. And so she gives her agency, she gives her resources, she leverages the access she has through marriage, and she wins the day. And so as far as I can tell, worship is ascribing ultimate worth to God. And if God is worthy of ultimate worth, right, then God is worthy of my partnership in the real world. So, you know, the faithful question for anybody listening and for me and for all of us is, how can I partner with God in God's stated purposes today? Love it. Friends, we'll be back right after a short break. This is Four People producer Easton Davis thanking you for listening to Four People. Four People is a space of digital evangelism dedicated to sharing the good news and leadership of Jesus Christ. Who do you know that needs to hear today's episode? Who do you want to hear it? Subscribe to Four People and keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, I always love listening to you speak about leadership, and I know you've studied it. You've, you have some opinions about it. I have some strong <laughs> opinions about it. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm wondering if you can share some of your thoughts about how this book of Esther compares and or contrasts with your idea of leadership. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me started. Well, I mean... Well, well, first off, I think that we talk popularly, we talk about leaders, 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 right? And, and what we're really talking about is people who exert formal authority. In other words, people who have title and role. Now, Esther had title and role now. She's the wife. She has access, right? But she didn't have to exert leadership because she already occupied formal authority. She had title. She had role. She probably had an outfit. You know, she had a chair, a throne, all those sorts of things. She didn't have to exert leadership, which was to take the risk, right, to take up particular ba- behaviors. So, so formal authority most often is just title and role. Like I'm bishop. That's just title and role. It remains to be seen if I will use title and role to exert leadership. The story of Esther is about her exerting leadership, you know, beyond her title and role. So it's a great little sort of laboratory to ask ourselves, what is leadership? Leadership is mobilizing people, right, to address tough problems, especially problems they'd rather avoid. Esther did not have to participate with God, right, to save her people. She was safe. And this is why Mordecai's statement is so important. He's he's saying, hey, I see you being tempted to just enjoy your title and your role and the world be damned, right? And if you do that, just know this, God is going to save God's people. But there is a window open for you right now to exert yourself 
and join God in God's saving program. And that's what Esther hears. And that's what activates Esther to do leadership work. And then she takes up a series of behaviors which thwart the enemy. And as I say in the meditation, it doesn't end well for (laughs) Haman. So I mentioned maybe in another another episode that we did together that I'm rereading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Uh, And when I reread books, I typically listen to them on Audible. And it takes me a while to get through it because I really only drive from home to work, from home to work. That's it, right? So just this (laughs) morning, like seriously, I was listening to the part about insecure alphas. And I couldn't help but compare Haman, the power-hungry weasel of a man, to Ms. Wilkerson's illustration and draw that parallel to the flexing, corrupt landscape of political tumult tumult we're living in today. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what we might do to consider how God might be calling us to step up and step in in the times we're living in right now. Well, you know, the the thing about Haman is is that he's committed to separation and superiority, right, which is never blessed in God's eyes. He's committed to separation and superiority. That's never blessed in God's eyes. And so if we're going to get on God's program, if we're going to take up agency, if we're going to stand at the intersection that God is already standing in, then we're going to have to start behaving like siblings, right? And we start behaving like siblings, then we don't just sort of let siblings suffer, right? We try to do saving acts towards siblings who are suffering. And so so Esther, uh, you know, fends off the temptation to just take care of herself. And she begins to extend herself to other people, right? Um, and I think this is what we have to do. And I think that we, you know, we have these these uh, uh, real or imagined villains who end up uh, finding justification in one way or the other to diminish, to denigrate, to disparage siblings, right? And so, one of the most powerful things that we have as the people of God is this uh, is this uh, indissolvable notion. That whether I like you or not, maybe even if I love, not even if I love you, right, you are nevertheless my sibling. And, and that ends up being the floor height, right, of all that we do. So if that is the floor height of all that we do, these people are not just refugees or immigrants or this or that or the other thing. They are my siblings. And because they are my siblings, that dictates my behavior. It dictates my vocabulary. It dictates my generosity, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and so I think this is the most important idea that we get as people who are baptized, people who say that we are children of God, right? Baptized into God's economy and enterprise. And that is, I am part of a huge family. Uh, my joke always is, is that we're not the human race. Where the hell are we racing to, right? What is, what, is the, what is the human race anyway? We are the human family. And so I think, I think uh, when we establish that as our floor height, then the rest sort of works itself out. But if we don't establish that as our floor height, then we get really subjective. And when we get really subjective, we get really biased. And when we get really biased, abuse follows. So you brought up baptism, and I'm glad you did, because I was thinking that that similar thoughts as you're speaking. The issue I have, though, is how how prone we are to other people. So when I think, I'm like, yes, we're baptized. But what about the unbaptized? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, see, the the baptized piece doesn't doesn't make us sort of members of an exclusive club. 
right? I mean, it is, it is the initiation by water in the spirit into God's program, right? So we don't look down on anybody who is not baptized, right? We realize that baptism makes us leaven in the world, right? It makes us yeast in the world. That's what it makes us, right? And so, you know, I'm always reminded uh, of a statement that somebody said to me about ordination, right? Said, remember, Rob, ordination is not an executive key. It's a cross, right? And baptism is like unto that. Baptism is not an executive key. It's not the sort of, uh, uh, you know, airline airline club, you know, in the great airport of the world, right? It, it, is, it is basically boot camp. It is, it is to be expelled by water and the spirit into the world in a particular way. When we make these things, when we corrupt these things and disfigure these things into our need for superiority and separateness, we disfigure the notion of God. We do violence to grace, right? But if we decide that this, what this water baptism means or this ordination means or this calling means, if we decide that that means that I am standing at an intersection with God right now doing God's work, then the world can get transformed. I love it. So I guess, friends, um, to what are you being called in such a time as this? Exactly right. <laughs> Exactly right. All right, Bishop, thank you so much for today. And listeners, thank you to listening to Four People. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.